Let's turn to Acts chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. And let's just um, begin reading from verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, married, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask an alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes up upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, indeed, thank you for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the great opportunity we have to come together as a body of believers to, to worship you, to sing praise to you, Lord. I pray as we gather around your word now that you would, Lord, give uh, me wisdom and understanding as I preach. Lord, I pray you power me through the Holy Spirit and everything I say this morning would be from you. That, Lord, it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would give us the truths contained therein. And may, Lord, you just work in our hearts now, and may you bless, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of Acts chapter 2 and 43, just turn back if you would, we read this. It says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So at the end of chapter 2 there, we're told that the apostles were able to do many signs and wonders. Of course, they'd been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit had come to dwell in their hearts at the start of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is dwelling in their hearts. And filled with the power of the Spirit, they were able to perform great miracles, signs, and wonders. And one of those signs, one of those wonders, is recorded for us here in Acts chapter 3. You know, these, these miracles that they performed were attention. Now, these miracles were awe-inspiring. They demonstrated the great power of Almighty God. They, they demonstrated that Christ was indeed who He claimed to be, as Christ then worked through his disciples through the apostles. You know, the miracles in and of themselves did not convert people. That was never the point of miracles. Miracles in and of themselves did not convert people to Christ. Now, so I think we can be tempted that, you know, somehow that if these rules, we were still able to perform them today, that somehow we would see thousands come to the Lord. You know, the reality is that it isn't true. It's never been true. You see, miracles do not convert people. Now, miracles here in the book of Acts, simply what they did was added weight to the message of the apostles, the message of Christ, the gospel message. That's what the miracles did. They accompanied the gospel message and they added weight to it. And in fact, as you look through the word of God, most times what happened with miracles was that it actually turned people away from the Lord. You know, people who who, uh, sorry, by that were confirmed in their willful unbelief. You know, a case in point is Lazarus. You know, Lazarus was dead. He was buried for four days and Christ raised him back to life. It was an incredible miracle. A miracle no one would deny. A miracle that proved he was the Son of God. I mean, only God can raise them back to life. In the same chapter, Christ's enemies, they agreed, said yes, 
He could perform great miracles, but then at the same time, they plotted to put him to death. They had to agree that he was powerful, had to agree that he had great power to perform these miracles, but then at the same time, plotted to put him to death. You see, miracles in and of themselves do not save, they do not convert people. They simply get people's attention. And that's, the, that's what happens here in Acts chapter 3. That's the point of Acts chapter 3 here, this miracle that takes place. You see, God used the healing of this lame man to get the people's attention. It's very similar to Acts chapter 2. At the start of Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost. We have the disciples, apostles speaking in tongues, getting the people's attention. And the same thing happens in Acts chapter 3. Okay, the, the miracle gets the people's attention so that Peter then can unto them the truth. And so with this in mind this morning, I want us to consider the miracle that's recorded before us and also to consider the effect of the miracle. Just firstly, if you would, this morning, the set. The setting. Verse 1 read, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple, hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask of them that entered into the temple. You see, and Peter and John, to go in the temple, asked an alms. Now, tree here begins by telling us that Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. They're going up at the time of prayer to spend some time with the Lord. And they're going up according to verse 1 at the ninth hour. Okay, so in other words, it's 3 p.m. afternoon. Okay, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m. And so the ninth hour is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That's the time that they're going to the temple. You know, once again, straight away here in Acts chapter 3, we see the importance the early church placed on prayer, don't we? Okay, at the end of... Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 where it says, uh, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so we saw that this is a big part of the early church, spending time together in prayer. And in chapter 3 begins, and where do we find Peter and John going? To the temple to pray. They're going up at the hour of prayer to spend time with the Lord. And they're going to the temple because they're Jews, and that was the Jewish custom. Okay, The Jewish custom was to go up at the ninth hour for prayer at the temple and so the church is still young and so being Jews the place of religious worship is where the temple that's where they're going to pray I read this week commentator who pointed out there's probably another reason why they go up at this particular to the temple to pray you see this was a time when the temple would have been crowded because everyone else is going to the temple to pray and so it gave them a great opportunity to witness a great opportunity to tell others about Christ which is exactly what happens in chapter 3 Okay, and so there's probably an ulterior motive here as well. Up to pray, yes, but they're probably also going up because there's an evangelistic fear. They're going up where all the people are to be able to tell them about the Lord. And as they approach the temple, they come across a man who's lame from birth. At the start of verse 2 we read, And a certain man was lame from his womb, uh, sorry, a certain man lame, fr lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask an alms of them that entered into the temple. So they're going up to the temple and they come across this man who's been lame from birth. This man is in a hopeless condition, particularly at this time in, you know, in history. You know, there is no Centrelink, there's no wealth. This man, born lame from birth, has to beg for a living. He has to spend his whole life begging to live off others' 
the generosity of others to survive. He has to rely upon others to carry him daily to the temple and place him at the gates so he can beg. On family or friends to do this for him. And you know, from chapter 4, we're told that this man has been in this condition for over 40 years. Get Acts chapter 4 and verse 22. Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it says, For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. He was over 40 years old. The man had been unable to walk for an extremely long period of time. Imagine a life like this. This man is in a, a sorrowful condition. His life consists of being carried to the temple and sitting there and begging, begging for the generosity of others. Now, verse 10 tells us that he was well known at the gate beautiful. It says in verse 10 of chapter 3, And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And so he was well known there. Okay, He was a regular, a regular beggar at the gate beautiful. The point is, this man had been begging in this particular spot for years, for a long time. Now consider that. Who has just risen from the dead, just ascended back into glory? Christ. Christ went up to the temple on numerous occasions. Christ would have seen this man. Christ knew about this man. Why didn't Christ heal this poor lame man? Why didn't Christ heal this man? And you know, the answer I think is found here in Acts chapter 3. You see, Christ knew that there was a purpose for this man. There was a plan for this man. God's special role for this particular man to play here in Acts chapter 3 and in the lives of all those who were affected by in the rest of Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. God had a plan, a role for this man to play. You see, as Peter and John come to the pool that day and this man cries out for arms, cries out for help, this is all according to God's plan. You know, God made sure that Peter and John approached the temple at that particular gate. They could have chosen a totally different gate. They come to the gate beautiful because that's the one where this man is. God directs Peter and John here. God makes sure that they hear him cry out unto them. You see, God is in control here. This is the providence of God. You know, there's no such thing as chance with God. Okay, there's no such thing. This is not a chance thing. Christ, when he was on earth, knew that this day was coming. When this man would meet Peter and John and be healed. This was the sense of God. You know, the other thing you consider as well is that this man was probably not the only beggar at the gate beautiful. He was probably not the only man there begging. You see, this was a hot spot for beggars in Bible times, the gates of the temple. And that was because the Jewish people placed a lot of emphasis in their faith upon giving alms to the poor. It was part of their law, wasn't it, to support those who had nothing. And so if you're going to get from people who are religious, where do you go? You wait to the temple, don't you? So as they come in, you might them to be generous, generous towards you. And so he was probably not the only beggar, the only one in this kind of condition at this gate as well. The other thing we've got to consider too is that, as we said earlier, this is the hour of prayer. And so as, he, as John go up to the temple, they're going up with thousands of others. They're not alone. They're going up in a crowd. I say all that because the point of the matter is the very fact that Peter and John hear him, the very fact that Peter and John pay attention to him is a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? Okay, this is not a chance meeting. God had a purpose for this man. God had a role for this man to play. And he had a role for Peter and John. 
And what was about to take place here in Acts chapter 3 <clears throat> was all led by the Holy Spirit and was for his glory, for God's glory. You know, this man in his sorrowful, pitiful condition, you know, it's easy to see a picture of the sorrowful condition of the unsaved, isn't it? Very easy to see uh, a picture of anyone who without Christ. You know, the unsaved like beggar are born into a pitiful condition. We're all born that way. Lost, dying on our way to hell. A condition we cannot escape on our own. As Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is the condition that all men, women, children, all of us are born into. All of us are born into this condition, lost on our way to hell. You know, there's nothing that anyone can do to solve that problem in and of themselves. Just like this lame man. He couldn't solve the problem himself. He couldn't fix his legs himself. So in the same way, there's nothing we can do to solve the problem in and of ourselves. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Let's just turn over there. It's the first we know well, but let's turn there. Isaiah 64. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags compared to mighty God. You see, the point is that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The very best we can do still leaves us filthy in the eyes of God. And this is the sorrowful condition that all men find themselves in without Christ. You know, like Peter and John, you know, the Lord brings us into contact with certain people. The Lord brings our paths to meet with people who are in need and people who are ready to receive the truth. You know, it's our response on these occasions that matters, isn't it? It's our response on these occasions, these chance meetings, it's our response that matters. You see, God places opportunities before us as his people. And he places a great deal more before us than we ever see. We miss a lot, don't we? We miss a lot of the opportunities that God puts before us. Often we miss these opportunities because we're too focused on everything else, aren't we? We're too focused on how busy we are. We're going up to the temple. Too busy to stop. Too busy to help them. Too busy with our lives, too busy with our jobs, whatever it might be. And so we miss the opportunity that God has placed before us. You know, Peter and John here, they didn't miss the opportunity. They didn't miss the opportunity that God placed before, before them. When this man cried out, when they met this man, they stopped and they responded accordingly. So the second point this morning, we see now their response. Their response, look in verse 3. It says, and seeing... Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked in arms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, "Look on us." And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk." And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter now responds to this man crying out for arms, crying out for help. You know, Peter and John could have brushed him off, couldn't they? 
they could have fobbed him off and said, we're too busy. We're, we're, you know, we're going somewhere. We've got somewhere to be. We're going up to pay. We're too busy. We can't stop. We can't talk right now. We can't help you. But they didn't, did they? Peter and John didn't respond like that. Peter and John heard the man's cry and they stopped and they responded to him. Verse 4, four and 5, we read that Peter tells, tells him, he says, look on us. Verse 4, it says, And Peter, casting his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Yeah, perhaps this man's got his head bowed. You know, the humble, he's not looking at their face, he's not looking up. And Peter says, look on us, look up. And you, know, you can see the, the already smart, start to smile, can't you? His face start to shine as he thinks. He expectantly looks up thinking that Peter and John are going to meet need of money. That's what he's thinking here. Looking up, expecting them to give him silver and gold. You know, Peter, however, and John had no money to give. Verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. This is what the man wanted. This is what he expected. He wanted something to put food on the table for that day. He expected silver and gold, but Peter and John, up Peter and John, had nothing to give. You know, that didn't mean that they just walked on by, did it? They just said, we have nothing to give and kept going. You know, this man was focused only on his temple need and it was a need that Peter and John could not meet. Money. They didn't have the means to meet that. But that didn't mean they just left him and moved on. No, Peter and John, although they couldn't meet his immediate temporal need of money, instead they saw his greater need and they saw that they could change his life through the power of Christ. They saw the greater need that this man had. I think this is where so often as believers we go wrong. Now we make one of two mistakes, don't we? The first mistake that, like Peter and John, we don't have money or have the means to meet someone's need. And so we say, silver and gold, have I none? But then what do we often do? We walk on by. We keep on going. We don't stop to give them a second thought, do we? We don't stop to think, yeah, I can't meet their temporal need, but they have an eternal need. They have a need of all. And so often we just walk on, we can't help you, and we walk on by. Not ever giving second thought to their real need the need of the hearts and not ever considering the fact that we actually have the means to meet that need we have what they need in our possession it's the gospel you know the second mistake we often make so if we don't make that one other mistake we make is that we have the means we have lost and so we say silver and gold i have here very charitable we meet their need and then what do we do we move again how have we helped them eternally? We've done nothing for their soul. Now, sadly, the focus of much in Christianity today, isn't it? The focus in much in Christianity is on charity. Beloved, that's not our purpose here on earth. That is not our purpose on earth. If, if all we do is show charity to people and we fit their true need, well, we have failed miserably. If they have food to put on the table, but they're going to hell, well, that's the one bit, has it? So often that is our focus. You see, as Christians, we have to be charitable, yes, but we need to also give them the gospel. That's far more important. So often what we do is we're charitable and we, we meet their need and then we just move on. 
And beloved, do that. We're failing in our responsibility. It's just as bad as saying I have nothing and moving on. It's exactly the same. See, we have not been left here on earth by Almighty God to be a charity organization. That's not what we are. But rather we have been left here to minister to people's true need, the need of the heart. That's our purpose, isn't it? And with that, if we can help people with charity, sure, we'll do it. The whole purpose of that charity is what? To win them to Christ. That's our purpose here on earth. You know, Peter and John, they understood this fact. See, although they didn't have the means to meet this man's temporal need, they saw his greater need. And so they stopped. And they understood that they had the means to meet his greater need through Christ. You see, what this man needed was salvation for the soul and healing for his body. That's what he needed, wasn't it? Neither of which could be provided for by Money was not going to heal his legs. Money was not going to save his soul. He needed Christ. So in verse 6 in the second half, we see that Peter tells him, Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter says, I may not have money to give you, but I have something far greater. Something far greater to give. And with that, he tells him, In the name of Jesus Christ, he says, rise up and walk. In verse 7 we read, it says, And he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter takes him by the hand here and lifts him up. Peter shows, doesn't he? Peter just said, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He reaches down, he's demonstrating great faith, isn't he? Peter believes it happened, and he helps this man up. You know, this man is immediately and miraculously healed feet and his ankles receive strength that they never had and this man is able to walk for the first time in his life what an awesome incredible miracle you know much more takes place here you see the important thing to notice here is that peter and john didn't just address his physical need of healing they also met the man's spiritual need as well and we know this because of the man's response of what happened to him the change in him afterwards Verse 8, it says, and he stood, leaping, stood up. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This man, what does he do as soon as he's healed? He gives thanks and praise to God. He's got no doubt that the ones who just said in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, were doing the power of God, that Jesus is God's son. He's buying God here, giving thanks to God. And later on in chapter 4, we find that this man identifies with Peter and John. Go to chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The interesting thing here is that at the start of chapter 4, Peter and John have spent the night in prison. They've just been released, and what does this man who's been healed do? He goes and identifies with them. He's standing with them. Why? Because he's associating with them now. There's a change that's taking place in this man's life. You see, Peter and John didn't just give him physical healing. Peter and John gave him the gospel too. It's not recorded in the passage, but they do. We see that from the change in this man's life. 
As a definite change takes place, he gives all glory and honor to Almighty God. Beloved, you know, we don't have the power to heal today. We don't have that power anymore. You know, the gift of healing, like the gift of tongues, was a sign gift. And it ceased. It's no longer necessary because we have the Word of God, the revelation of God. You know, we still have something to give, don't we? We still have something to give to those in need, and that is the gospel message. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's turn over there. Again, another verse we know well, but it's a glory. Romans 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know, Romans here tells us the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is powerful. It's more powerful than any healing. As we said at the start, a miracle is simply a sign isn't to get people's attention. More important is the healing of the soul, is the power of the gospel. And beloved, instead of saying silver and gold, have I none, and then moving on. And saying silver and gold, I have, here you are, and then moving on. You and I need to stop and meet their need of the soul, their true need. Which, of course, is the gospel. You see, that's what they really need, isn't it? You know, many think they need temporal things met. They think that's what they need, but what they really need is Christ. And Christ will take care of all those things. You know, the message of the gospel is able to completely transform their lives. Just like, you know, Peter and John here, through the power of Christ, transform this man's life. The gospel is able to transform people's lives. In Romans 10, Romans 10 verse 13. <clears throat> Romans 10 verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they leave in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Beloved people need to call on the Lord to be saved, but how shall they hear, as it points out here in Romans, how shall they hear unless you and I tell them? How shall they hear unless we tell them? If all we do is meet their need, we haven't told them. We haven't told them. If all we do is say we have don't have silver and gold and move on, we haven't told them. You and I need to tell people the truth. It's our responsibility here on earth to meet the spiritual needs of the people, which is far greater than any temporal need here on earth. We need a burden for the lost. We need a burden for the lost. As you said earlier, you know, God brought Peter and John across this man. This was the providence of God. It was not a chance meeting. It was in God's perfect timing for a specific purpose. And you know, the Lord today, as I said earlier, brings people across our path every day. The Lord brings us to meet with people who need Him. And you know, so often we fail to give them the gospel. We fail to stop. We fail to see their need. We pass it by. I know I've done this. Later on, you think back and you think that was my opportunity to give the gospel and I missed it. And we almost have to repent, don't we? Repent because we failed in our responsibility. Beloved, we have the cure that which ails them. It's Christ. We need to pray that the Lord will give us a burden for souls, that the Lord will give us eyes to see their need and to stop and talk to them. 
We need to pray that our response like Peter's would be such as I have give by them and give them the gospel. Thirdly, now we see the effect. Thirdly and lastly, we see the effect. Look back in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at all that which had happened unto him. Lastly, now this morning, we suspect that this miracle has not only in his life, but also in the lives of others who are present on that day. Now, Peter had told this man, he'd said, rise up and walk. Now, this man did much more than that, didn't he? That's an awesome, awesome account, a wonderful miracle, isn't it? As he stands up, he doesn't just walk. This man goes walking and leaping and praising God. Now, this man could not contain his joy. At the transformation that had just taken place in his life, he could not contain himself. He's overwhelmed joy. Suddenly his life has been changed. In an instant, his legs have been healed. His legs have received strength. In an instant, he's learnt to walk. That in and of itself is a miracle, isn't it? You know, this man's never walked 40 years. In an instant, he's not able just able to walk. He's able to leap and run and praise God, jumping up and down. So this is incredible. And this man is so excited, he runs around like a little child. That's what it reminds you of, doesn't it? A little child is running and leaping. You see, this man didn't care what people thought of him, did he? He didn't care one bit who was watching or what thought. He just wanted people to know what God had done for him. What the Lord had done in his life. We give people the gospel message. And they accept Christ by faith. There's a similar change, isn't there? There's a similar change that takes place in one's life. Now, salvation is the greatest miracle as God takes a filthy sinner, washes them white as snow in the blood of the Lamb. Takes someone from being the enemy of God and makes them the sons of God. Join heirs with Christ. You know, this is the change that takes place when the gospel is given to people and they receive it. And it produces overwhelming joy within. You know, those of us who are saved, we understand, don't we? We understand the joy that comes from knowing Christ, the change that takes place within. There's great joy in knowing that we're saved that we're on our way to heaven one day. And beloved, like this man, we shouldn't be able to contain our joy. We should want people to know. People should be able to see the joy in our hearts, see the difference in us. As we run around leaping and jumping and praising God for what he has done for us. We shouldn't walk around all along quickly. That's not a Christian. We should have joy in our hearts like this man. Overwhelming joy at what Christ has done. You know, because of this man's reaction, this miracle had a greater effect. This miracle affected all those around him because, you know, it caught their attention. Hey, who's this man running around? Hey, it's the beggar. It's that lame man. And he's jumping around like a little praising God. What's happened here? Verse 10, it says, And they knew that it was he which sat for arms of the beautiful temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. Now, the people are filled with wonder and amazement. They see the change that's taken place, and immediately they're questioning. They're wondering what's happened. What power is this? How did this happen? They want to know more. You see, this miracle, as we said at the start, prepared 
the people's hearts for the gospel. The miracle didn't save them. The miracle prepared their hearts to read the message. As Peter once again now stands up and in verse 11 it says, and as the lame man which was healed by, sorry, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look ye so earnestly on us, as though we, we sorry, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this lame man, man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. And it goes on, Peter preaches boldly. Once again, under the people, the truth of Christ. This all happened because of a chance meeting between a man and these two disciples, these two apostles. See, this is ordered by Almighty God. The miracle made sure that these people were ready to receive the truth. Prepared their hearts. But once again, this is the effect of the gospel, isn't it? It has an effect upon the person who gets saved, but it should have an effect upon others as well, as they see the change within. And they're drawn want to know more. As I said earlier, this ought to affect the gospel in our lives. You know, we are overwhelmed with joy. There is such a great change that takes place within that others look at us and they can see that change. And they want to know more. They marvel. They wonder what's going on. Why? What's going on in their lives? Why are they different? They want to know more about Christ. Beloved, people should be drawn to Christ by our testimony of what he has done in our lives. Now, in Peter and John's response, Acts chapter 3, you know, we see a great example of how we are to respond to the unsaved today. Beloved, we need to look past people's temporal needs. We need to look past the problems on the surface and we need to see the real need of the soul. Because we have this it's Christ. Such as I have, give I thee. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the healing of this lame man. And Lord, we thank you so much for the example that it sets for us, Lord, as how we are to respond to the unsaved even today. Lord, may you help each and every one of us to have a burden for the lost, a burden for souls. Help us, Lord, when those Meetings take place when you send people across our path. Help us, Lord, not to just brush them off. Lord, help us in your power to say, such as I have, give by thee. And Lord, may we give them the wonderful, glorious truth that Christ died for them. May you bless now as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.